Enough will never be enough for some. So be enough for yourself instead. Christine Samansky. Bending Not Breaking, Season 3, Episode 20, Sozin's Comet, Part 3, Into the Inferno. And welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And this is Ben. And we are ready to jump into, uh, we are so close to the end, so close. Uh, Isn't but that we're, crazy but how we're not like, there time yet. has just flown this season's gone by incredibly fast, it seems. Um, and I think part of that is because we haven't had to skip many weeks. We've just been chugging along. But That's uh, true. I guess in our previous seasons, we've had a lot more mini-episodes kind of in between. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, going straight through has been a different experience. Well, and then let's not forget who's allowed us to do that by keeping us on task and keeping us prepared and making sure all that's the episodes so are ready, uh, uh, ready to go. And and that's the one and only Max Gongaware. Max Gongaware. So good. How are you doing, Max? What a guy. I'm good, thank you. Hope you all are doing well. Yeah, Max, have you had I'm a good? Well. You had a good week. Everything going well. Everything's solid. Things are solid. Things are liquid. Things are gaseous. I, I mean. Earth continues well, above, to spin. Huh? That's how matter works. So that's a yeah. I'm well, a big cool. fan of matter. I matter. You matter. We all matter. Yes. This is true. So we need to treat <laughs> people like they all matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to treat everyone like they matter. You can't just say it. You have to do it. Yeah. I mean, I have all the matter, and I like. I feel like I am enough because of that. Let's talk about it. So you you had the quote. You had the quote. And we're talking about enough, which is uh, seems kind of vague as a lens, but I feel like it's so important. And oh, I feel, so I feel like we, talk about. we tiptoe around it by mentioning it here and there. But to dive into a full episode through this lens is something that I'm really excited about doing. I think it's something Especially that's Especially this important. episode. We get some uh, moments of am I enough, right? So, Yes. Yes, we do. But before we get into the episode and start talking about the things, I yeah, guess... Yeah, you, you have to remind us what happens in the episode. Uh, we'll put 30 seconds on the clock and I will do it. You know, I always have 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure you're ready? I'm positive. Go ahead. 1,000%. Count it down, Ben. I'm ready to go. go. A comet is coming. And then Zuko and Katara worry about Aang, and they cut to Azula, and she's freaking out over a cherry pit. Sokka, Toph, and Suki jump onto an airship, and then Ozai is leading the pack of those airships. Azula then sends the Dai Li away. Toph goes Iron Man on the crew of this airship. Sokka gets to the crew and drops everybody through a ship door. Happy birthday. Azula bashes, uh, banishes low and points to Lee. White Lotus take back Ba Sing Se. Azula messes with her hair and sees her mother in the mirror. That's terrifying. Phoenix, sings, uh, Phoenix King sings Aang. Agni Kai between Zuko. And then Lightning... <laughs> And there we are. Yeah, that was that was really good. I'm I'm proud of you. That there was a lot to cover, and you nailed it. Well, thank goodness the last five minutes of this episode's a fight scene. Well, yeah, two, two, <laughs> you got lucky. <laughs> two fight scenes, but for sure. So I feel fine with that. But yes, let's 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 talk about enough, shall we? Because 
for us, talking about scarcity culture and what does enough really mean? So when you think of well, enough, open it up, Ben. What are what are all the thoughts? Well, it's interesting that you like so I, I think we have to put this in this conversation in context. You lifted you already said it, scarcity culture, right? And so we have to I think we have to define what that is before we can talk about what enough is. So Seems fair. like there's there's this idea there's there's two sides to a coin. One is scarcity, which is the lack of the concept of we are lacking in versus the idea of abundance which there is plenty of is so those two things kind of um, are two sides of the same coin and enough is lying in the abundance mindset uh, enough falls there and so like a, a, an example of what this sounds like in terms of time for instance is like scarcity culture would say Time is running out, so I have to multitask versus an abundance mindset would say there is enough time for me to do this now and do that later. I don't have to do these two things at the same time. Uh, if you think about it in terms of like money, it's I don't have enough money versus abundance is like wealth happens. It's a natural part of life. The things that I have to pay for will eventually I'll be able to do that, right? Um then there's there are different other aspects like power, self-worth. Power, for instance, is like this is the best way to do this task is a scarcity mindset versus a power, uh, an abundance mindset of that would be there are endless right ways to approach something. And then finally, the self-worth paradigm is like I will never be as good as this other person, like comparing yourself to someone else. I'll never be as good as. And then the abundance mindset version of that would be an example, um, like other people's success is my success because we can learn from each other. Um, so those are a few like examples uh, of the difference between scarcity and abundance. And I think enough lies in the sentence of saying, I am enough the way that I am. Uh, how does, did, did I answer your, does that sound like, how does that sound to you, Sunshine? What would you add or subtract or what else? I think what I want to create a distinction around is what is the opposite of scarcity? So the sc scarcity is not having enough. And so in some situations, I feel like abundance feels like the opposite, but overabundance is what people visualize. Yeah, um, that's a great point. And so I want to, I think, clarify that enough is really what you're looking for. So... I don't have enough money to survive versus I have enough money to survive. Not I have too much money to survive and I'm hoarding. Yeah, not, exactly. Um, and so I think that when we're looking for am I, we put it into terms of this self-worth, am I smart enough, intelligent enough, um, rich enough, skinny enough, beautiful enough, all of these things that get pushed on us so frequently. And the answer is you are enough. You are worthy of love. You are loved. Um, and you are worthy of belonging, you are enough versus I need to be all of these extra things to have earned that. Um, yeah. And you don't. Well, and I think that's exactly right. Like what you're pointing to is when we are measuring ourselves in terms of our, our belonging, in terms of our love, our capacity and deservedness for those things, there is no measure, right? You, as you are, the way you are, you are enough. You are loved, and you deserve to be loved exactly how you are. 
rather than having to like constantly like you are not loved because of what you achieve you are loved because of who you are right um and that's kind of what this episode we hope to kind of touch on is to identify the the scarcity mindsets and then how do we um how do we talk about what it would look like for them to be in an enough mindset right yeah, because it's, uh, I think when I was watching this episode and thinking about the concept of enough, two things kind of take place. I have a responsibility to to work on understanding that I'm enough, right? I have to challenge those beliefs, and that's something I get to do my self-worth on. Self-worth on. Um, but also understanding how other people's interactions with me can affect that or create barriers or be supportive of that. And then understanding how my actions can create barriers or be supportive of someone else understanding that they're enough. Um, and so I don't want to say that it's if you don't believe you're not enough, it's it's only your fault because I don't think that's where we're going. But I think that an understanding of other people's actions towards us can create barriers or supports and our actions towards others can create barriers or supports to them feeling like they're enough. And that's something that we need to be cognizant of. Yeah, and I think to reframe that in another way is to think about how I am more likely to act inside of the values that I care about and that I treasure if I believe that I am enough versus if I do not believe that I am enough, I am going to be constantly um, doing things that may lie outside of my values in order to achieve what I believe would make me feel like I am enough. And so those, those things that we do to fit in, for instance, into a place, those are the things that are usually done out of a scarcity mindset. Like I'm not enough. I have to change who I am. I have to wear something specific in order to fit in with this popular group at school. I have to say certain things in order to fit in with this popular group at school. Or, you know what? An abundance mindset, an enough mindset would say, there are a lot of people that I could be friends with, and I want to make sure that I am who I am and who I believe that I should be so that these people will naturally gravitate. The people that I'm supposed to be friends with, the people that I will mesh with, the people that will care about me for who I am, those are the people that will be a part of my experience if I just act the way that as if I belong rather than as if I'm trying to fit in somewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, this concept of truly belonging versus fitting in, so versus changing who you are authentically to, to mesh into a group is one that typically ends in, in people understanding that they, they're not happy. They're not themselves. They're not, getting to be the best versions of themselves. And when you get to find that place where you truly belong and feel like enough and you get to be a part of that group, it's a, it's a very different situation. One drives yeah. disconnection. One drives true connection. Um, mm. And so for us, it is how are we cognizant of the way that we speak to ourselves, the actions that we have towards ourselves to understanding that we're enough and how our actions towards others yeah, and that, you know that reminds me of something that I believe in that is pretty controversial. Um, and it's the concept that you cannot love others 
more than you love yourself. And that's like, I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Like that's, that's difficult thing to grasp, but I, I believe that we cannot love other people more than we love ourselves. And that's, uh, I mean that to say is like we can't love our children more than we love ourselves. We can't love our best friend. We can't love our, our family more than we love ourselves because I believe the way we view ourselves manifests subconsciously in how we interact with people. So if I think that I am ugly, for instance, and I'm constantly saying, oh, I'm just so ugly – I'm so ugly. And then I look in the mirror and I say that. And But then I tell my child that you are beautiful no matter what. And then I look at myself and say, ugh, so ugly. If I only had two or three sizes smaller on my jean size. Or ugh, if I could just lose X, Y, or Z pounds. Then that child isn't going to hear the fact that I think that they're beautiful, what they're going to hear is they're going to hear me criticizing myself and they're going to emulate and model that. Because, like, which which one would you hear more? It's the one that is most judgmental. And I that's an example of how it's it's really hard to love someone more than you love yourself because the way, it's just going to manifest itself. And I think, I think we see that. I think we see that in this show. I think we see that in this episode. Um, that, how, how does that sound to you? What does that sound like to you, Sunshine? Yeah, I think that our actions speak louder than our words, which is a, a simplistic form of what you just said, but it really holds true. People model themselves and their own actions and their beliefs and their perceptions based off of other people's actions, and especially of the ones that you love and the ones that are surrounding you. And so I almost think of it as a pitcher, right? Uh, a pitcher of water. Uh, if, if you aren't constantly figuring out how to love yourself, filling your pitcher... How can you pour that water into others to give them what they mm. need to be supportive? Um, so you have to have your capacity for love to others is a lot has to do with your capacity to love yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear our listeners perspectives on this. Um, I would, I just, I would love to hear a response. Yeah. Send us a voicemail. The well, at gmail.com. And we know that we are most judgmental in others the way that we are judgmental against ourselves and so yes, if those, absolutely if that is true then we our actions our behaviors change based off of the way that we view ourselves into what we were talking about earlier which is when when you don't love yourself when you don't feel like you're enough it drastically you're more likely to live outside of your value system that you have and so yeah we're, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that because it's seen. And so let's let's jump into it. And 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 really, one of the first moments for me, um, in that is the way that we give feedback, the way that we talk to others, has an effect on the way others view themselves. And the moment that certainly, gives, and the moment that we I want to point in on that or, or dial in on is Azula freaking out over the cherry pit and the way that she gives feedback to the person who messed up. I don't know what the rules were. I don't know what the expectations were, but it seems like expectations are pretty clear, like don't allow a cherry pit to be in my cherries. Or they weren't, right? That might not be a thing. But the way that she gives that feedback, how does that person leave that situation and feel about themselves? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, I, I'm, 
I'm going to backpedal just a hair and circle back to something you said. Yes. Um, You, you, you use the term freaking out. Yeah. That's probably not the best term. Well, and and I think that I want to, I want to call myself out as well. We did an episode early on with, with King Boomy around uh, talking about the, like using terms like crazy and, Mm -hmm. um, and hysterical and like freaked out for instance. And I, I just wonder I wonder if that is doing something that we don't want it to do by using language like that. Um, and I, I don't know that I have an answer for you. I don't, I, but I just wanted to bring attention to that, that it, um, I noticed it and I don't know that I have a good answer, but I, I did notice that. And I wonder if that's the language that you meant or you wanted to use, or if it's just part of our, so it's such a part of our vocabulary that that's what came out. I don't know. I think that's a wonderful thing to highlight that we have to even challenge our, our language that we use. We, we know language is important. We know that it affects the way that we think and the way that we view things. Um, the language that we use creates stories or is meant to create stories and narratives and connections in our head. So being intentional about the language we use is important. And I wasn't in that moment right there because freak out is probably not the, the best term to use. She's struggling with well and i think that's i think the term freaking out is very similar to the term of like oh she was she became hysterical and that's just there's a there's a lot of minimizing it's minimizing not only is it minimizing but there's a there's a really unfortunate history around women and the term hysterical and freaking out and that kind of um that oh, paradigm sure, of use of sure. that type of language, especially in the language of like mental health and Freud was not the greatest example of this. Um, but I, I think that the language we use, especially regarding women is really important to be cognizant of. Um, and again, I'm not doing this to call you out, but just to like lift up the fact that it's something that I noticed. And I think we can continue to work on how we even talk about these things. Cause I know I have said crazy a lot <laughs> on the podcast, especially as I go back and listen in. Um, well, and here's but, what I, I appreciate about the way that you just did that, because one, no, I think you, you're supposed to call it out, right? We need to call it out so that we can recognize when we're doing it and recognize when we can be better. But what I appreciate about the way that you called it out was you talked about the behavior and not about me as a person. And I think that that is an important distinction when we are, creating a sense of love and belonging in a place where people understand that they are enough is that we can change and even when we are enough and worthy of love we can still make our behaviors better that does not inherently change our value as a person um yeah or our worthiness of love so i appreciate the way that you did that and i think you're right i think you're right that we have to really be cognizant about the language that we're using when we're talking about these characters even though they are fictional characters we are processing this in the real world and so Correct. we yes, have that we is need such to be able to do point. that. So, um, so no, I appreciate so, that. So yeah, I, sorry to detract. I think that was a helpful. I don't think that was a detraction at all. I think that was an important point to make. So I appreciate you doing it. Um, but yeah, let's jump back into the let's jump back into Azula, who is who is struggling. We know that she's she's been traumatized in in many ways, and so as she is dealing with this sense of am I enough, we see those small behaviors start to shift in the way that she engages with the people around her. Yeah, and I, I find it really interesting to think about the relationship that this is creating between her and everyone around her. And one of the things I'm noticing is the I, 
I wonder if paranoid is a good word to use, but the more paranoid she becomes, the more her, um, the more the, the story her teller she's telling herself, the more that story, uh, alienates herself. And what it's doing is it's, it's attempting, that story is attempting to keep her safe, but what it is doing in actuality is, uh, separating herself more and more. It is creating more and more this sense of independence. Like I can only rely on myself, which is a that is like hardcore scarcity mindset. This idea that only me, only I can do what is necessary. Um, it like an independence, like hyper independence, is a response to trauma. Like that is a traumatic response. It is not necessarily the trauma response, but it is a trauma response. And I think that's worth calling out and lifting up is that when we hyper independence and corner ourselves off and separate ourselves off from people that is that's a response and could be a response to rather to trauma and i think that we talk about trauma a lot on this on this series and it's important to realize that neither of us are experts but we have done a lot of reading and research around this and this and is what had this looks on like. experts yes and we've had experts on these characters as well so yeah i just i think that the more she cuts herself off, the more it perpetuates the problem. And it's kind of counterintuitive because we get in this mode where we feel like we have to depend on just ourselves. Like this is the only answer because I'm the only one that can hold it myself to this standard. But what happens when we do that is we start to, to lose, right? And I think that's what happens in scarcity culture is we start to become fiercely independent because of a lack of perceived help we can rely on when in reality we continue to make it harder and harder for ourselves by living into this scarcity mindset. Yeah. And so how do we challenge that? Right? So this is the, how do we do the work personally to, to help start combating that? Cause you can't do it by yourself alone. Like you can't change it by yourself. You, but you have to put in a little bit of work to help start creating this understanding that you are enough. And so how do we get there? How do we get that when we feel like we're alone? Because Azula, not only, I feel like she doesn't feel like she's enough. Thus leads her to un kind of have this idea of, if I'm not supposed to be here, are people going to start noticing that? Are people going to come for me? Are people going to try to attack me? And that's where some of this paranoia that you mentioned starts to come from, is this idea that I'm not enough to be here, and so other people have to know that. And if other people know that, then they might try to attack me or try to keep me from being Fire Lord, and so I can't trust them. And all these things start to compound on themselves yeah. over and over. So how do I, we stop so I that cycle? I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Before we can answer that question, though, I think we have to point to what we're talking about when it comes to saying that Azula believes she's not enough. Because I think a lot of people would say, no, she believes she's all the hot stuff, right? Um, and so, like, when, when you hear that, like, what what is the evidence that Azula believes she's not enough? Does that make sense? Yes. And, and the, the things that I'm noticing as I watch are the criticalness, the critique that she offers these people. You mentioned feedback. The feedback that is offered to other people is often not something that is like helpful and it, it continues to create a um 
I don't know how to phrase this. Her her feedback is not uh, helpful feedback. It is critical feedback. And to me, that is a flag of scarcity. Because when we are unable to offer people feedback that is helpful, that means that we are not able to see the things that they are doing right. And when we are not able to see the things that people are doing right, because pe- people are always doing something right. If you can't see something that they're doing right and pick that out and lift that up, then you're not looking hard enough. That's that's for that's that is a Ben statement. But to like so when we can't see those things, that to me is a red flag. That tells me that there is some scarcity in there because that tells me like there's that they're not good enough. They're not good enough. It tells me that there's such a high standard there. And we have to ask, where does that high standard come from? Because I think that's what leads to this scarcity mindset is setting our setting high standards. And so I think that's a, a piece of evidence for me that tells me that there's a not enough uh, narrative happening. Is that am I am I making sense? Um, I, I think for me, yeah. And the moment I think for me is when Azula sees Ursa in the mirror, which is a projection of her mind. Oof, and, that's a big moment. And it goes back to a quote we've said several times is we accept the love we think we deserve. So that moment where Ursa says, I loved you. I love you. And Azula shatters the mirror. It is coming from a place of, I can't accept that love. Um, and I think it goes to, because she doesn't feel like she deserves that love. Um, yeah, because Honestly, if we think about that from her perspective, what would it mean for her to accept that in that moment, right? (laughs) To accept that love in that moment would be to have to confront all of the things that she doesn't think she's doing well. Like, how can you love me when I know I'm not doing all of these things perfectly? How can you love me when... I'm not the Fire Lord. Oh, wait, I am, but I'm not the Phoenix King. When there's always this higher bar, this new ceiling we have to achieve. Um, it's just like, that's a great moment to point to. I think that's a really good example. Yeah. And I, I just, it's tough, right? It's tough to see her spiral. And I think we, the reason it works in the show is we connect with that because that's a moment that we might not love that we we re- resonate with Azula, but I think most of us resonate with Azula on on that feeling of, am I worthy? Am I supposed to be what I'm doing? Am I good enough to be doing what I'm doing? Um, it almost feels like this imposter syndrome, like someone's going to find out that I'm not good enough to be here or that I have not earned a seat at the table. And I think that's a feeling we all feel. And so I think that's a moment why people start to feel the way for Azula that we do, because we also recognize she's just a kid. Um, yes, she's and 14, y'all. And, and, 14. That's what, and that's what makes all of this even harder. Um, so, yeah. And, so well, and the conversation there is really important to highlight, too. Like, Azula, or Urza says that, like, Azula's use of fear to control people has left her confused but azula's reply like is that she had no choice she couldn't trust anyone and not being able to trust anyone is a prime example of there's 
of not enough, right? Um, anytime, and it's not it's not just us. It's not just I'm not enough. It's the blame of enough too. Like, oh, you're not enough. I can't trust you. You're not enough. I think that is just as much of a thing to lift up in a conversation around enoughness um, than our perception of ourselves, right? And like, because she takes so much pride in the the power of her fear, Azula points out that even Urza feared her, which that is the story, I believe, that she is telling herself, right? And Urza denies this. Even in her own head, Urza denies this and says she really loves her. And I think it's just really, this is a really poignant moment to look at what someone who's going through a really tough spot looks like. To be able to have this hallucination and really grapple with this is this is big stuff for a Nickelodeon show to tackle um it's just it's it's crazy and I just said that it's crazy and that's a terrible like that's bad language and I'm correcting myself but like (laughs) it's it's really hard to grapple with this amount of critique for yourself and the only way she's able to process it is by having this hallucination. And I think that's that's something that's really – I think it's closer to home for a lot of us than we care to admit. You know? Oh, absolutely. And so what's the takeaway? There's Because there's two points that come within all this. We've highlighted that when we don't feel like enough that it affects the way we treat other people. And when we don't feel like enough, it drastically affects the way that we view the world and and the stories that we create around ourselves. And so how do we stop that? How do we combat that in the moment? One, how do we recognize it? And then how do we start to truly feel like we are enough? How does that work? Um, because as much as we can say, like, you just got to tell yourself I'm not enough. Yes, I love a good mantra. I love that people you can look and say, I'm enough. And that is something that I think you can definitely do. I think there's also got to be more to that because that alone won't get you there. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I don't know that we see great examples in this episode of this. Um, but I, I you know, I've been thinking that I like I wanted to get through an episode of not talking about Brene. Like I wanted to, I wanted to try it, um, <laughs> but it's just not working. But like the answer to your question for me is one of the books that she wrote about ten years ago, which is uh, the Gifts of Imperfection. And in this book, what she does is she outlines ten guideposts to quote wholehearted living. And these guideposts are exactly what we're talking about. These are the 10 things that separate the people who feel like they're not enough from the people who do. And I highly recommend checking that out. Like, it is a great read, and it's very paradigm-shifting. But like, I, here's what I'll do. I will briefly like run through these 10 things that she lists, Um, And I think that this might help us uh, gear our conversation. So one is cultivating authenticity, letting go of what people think. Two, cultivating self-compassion, 
letting go of perfectionism. Three, cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. Four, cultivating gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Five, cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need for certainty. Six, cultivating creativity, letting go of comparison. Seven, cultivating rest and play, letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. Eight, cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Nine, cultivating meaningful work, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to. And then 10, cultivating laughter, song, and dance, letting go of being cool and always in control. And as I read those, I see a lot of those things that have been cultivated by characters in this show. Like we see Aang cultivating rest and play from the moment they set out to go to the water, the Northern um, Water Tribe. We see uh, cultivating authenticity from Katara. We see all of these characters cultivating these things over the course of this show, but we don't really see Azula living into these things. What we see is... Azula is not really living into these moments and these guideposts, right? And I, I think what's it's that that the the fourteen years of not living into any of those things has led to this crisis that she is now in, where she is having a lot of trouble and she's struggling. Right? What What are your thoughts on those? No, the guideposts I think are going to be helpful for us to say these are the things that we can do regardless of the moments of, of, of scarcity that we're going to continue to go through in this episode. And I think you're right. We don't see Azula C do any of those things. Um, and I think we, we, we might get glimmer glimpses of that, um, but we never get to see it fully through. I think of the beach episode. Like she tried. She tried to enjoy the party. <laughs> Um, but she had a tough yeah, I, time letting go of the of the elements that were just that you just read off. And well, and I think a part of it is it's it's not just doing it once. It's these things have to become practices that we implement in our daily lives. These aren't just one offs. Like it's not enough to say like, and I say that uh, pun intended, but it's not enough to say that laughter and dancing is like once a year or like is enough, right? We have to make this a part of our daily routine. These things that we're being asked to cultivate are something that have to be integral to the way we live, not just um, a one-stop shop uh, like weekend where we quote, this is my self-care weekend where we, you know, cultivate these things and then we forget about it for the rest of the year. It doesn't work that way, right? It has to be something that we're doing daily. That are, it has to be daily, right? It has to be a part of who we are and how we live. Absolutely. Sucks. I'm going to be real with y'all. It's not, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not saying it's easy. easy. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that that's if, if we want to get to that point, I think that's, that's what we have to work on. 100% agree. I'm in it. Absolutely. Um, let's keep moving on because yeah. we, we could spend the entire hour, if not more on, uh, Azula throughout this episode. It, you're, you're not wrong. There's a lot. Um, can we talk about Ozai? I want to go to Ozai. Oh yeah. Let's talk about Ozai. So 
Can you I, believe that he burnt the costume that we're that the, the <laughs> his rebrand? The marketing team, team so much so time much putting time together, on. and he burns it up in five seconds. So he's like, oh, "Avatar, great, burned." Uh, <laughs> they worked so hard, and no one got to see it. I mean, you're not you're not wrong. Um, yeah. They were probably treated anyway. so poorly too. Ugh. What a so, waste. I. I think I'd like to talk about like why Ozai is on this mission to conquer the world in the first place. And the story he shares is that we like the, the propaganda I should say that he, he shares is that we are trying to share the greatness of the fire nation with the rest of the world. Rather that comes from Sozin, um, but that's like the the propaganda line that we hear, right? The the Fire Nation's greatness needs to be shared with the world. And I'm I'm curious, like, what compels someone to act in such a way that we have to continue to make power grabs? And for me, it's like that I I don't have enough power. It's never enough. It's never enough to say that I'm the king. It's not enough to be the Fire Lord. I have to be the Phoenix King, right? This enoughness is like, no, there's always more to gain. And I just, I think this whole war is coming from scarcity. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yep. Right, yeah, I mean, like, like but, <laughs> right? I mean, so the understanding of I, I am not good enough, and that's the, I, it's not just I don't have enough power. Because I think he believes that you know he he he's owed all of this, right? So I think that's I another part of it, right? I am the most powerful firebender in the world. But I still think it stems from I'm not enough until this happens, right? I am not good enough until all of this has happened. I am not powerful enough. I am not the best enough if if this until these things happen. And so it comes from this place of of scarcity. It comes out of this realm of until you have this, until you do this, you're not good enough. And I think that the the confidence, the the cockiness, the the understanding that you are the best or feel like you're the best, it, if you if you truly felt all of those things, you wouldn't need to do all of this to continue it. Um, and so I think it comes out of a place of of scarcity, right? So. Yeah, I just I, I I this conversation and watching this episode with this lens really for the first time had me like feeling more empathy for Ozai. Um I which I like I get it. I know what it's like to feel like I'm not enough. I have been there. I I live there sometimes and it's 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 not my favorite thing about who I am, but it it's a part of me and I'm, I'm working on that and I'm cultivating those guideposts and I've been trying for 10 years to cultivate those guideposts, but it's one of those things where it's hard. And to, to know what perfectionism feels like to know, like I, that I am ambitious. I want to achieve, I want to uh, accomplish and I want to grow and be, be well known and for the right reasons. But like, I, I know what it's like to, to feel like I'm not enough and to feel like what I have is not enough. And 
putting that in concert with watching this episode was really eye-opening in a way that I never expected to feel about Ozai. Well, and this is where we're, absolutely because this is where we're going to get into this uh, controversial statement of everyone is enough is worthy of love, right? Everyone yes. is worthy of love. Everyone can have the chance to redeem the wrongs that they did. Here's the kicker. It doesn't mean that Ozai can ever make up or uh, is owed forgiveness by any of the people that he hurt. It doesn't mean that he's ever going to be able to do enough to make amends for the destruction and death that he has caused. It doesn't mean that we don't hold him accountable for those actions. But he will never have a chance to even start that process and even begin to work towards those things if he does not believe that he is worthy of love and if we do not believe that he is worthy of love. That's the kicker, right? If you do not feel like you are enough, then you are not going to act act as though you are. You are not going to act. If you don't believe you're worthy of love, you're going to act in a way that you're going to justify doing things that are against your values or against the the values that you wish you lived into because you're like, oh, well, it's not worth it because I'm not worth it right whereas if you believe you have inherent if you inherently belong if you are inherently loved then what happens is the way we act and the way we treat ourselves we treat ourselves with more dignity we treat ourselves with more love and more care and it's just it's a really hard road and that is why we recommend seeking out professional help <laughs> when you are struggling with this because our friends don't have the capacity to walk us through that. We And it's hard to do it by ourselves. Doing this work is work. It's not just something that we can accomplish. I think that I, knowing that we're enough, knowing that it's is the same as knowing that it's okay to ask for help and to rely on professional people to help us make and navigate this process. Right? Absolutely. Because even in my head as I'm thinking about all of these things, I'm thinking about whose responsibility is it to show that person that they are worthy of love? Because there are people that have wronged me or wronged others, and I'm never going to tell someone that they have to go confront an abuser and tell them that they're worthy of love or that it's their job to convince that person that they're worthy of love. It's not. Absolutely not. It's not not. their job to forgive. It's not their job to, to give that love. So... I'm never going to ask anyone to do that, and I don't think that they should. I do think that others can work towards changing that person's behaviors for the future by showing them that they can be a better person um, and have that chance. And so um, I think that's what we're called to do. Yeah, I think it's important to highlight also that someone's inherent ability, capacity to be loved does not mean that you have to be the person that gives that to them, right? I I, I think that saying that everyone deserves love and belonging does not mean they have to be loved and belong with you. It means that they belong on this earth, they are loved and people will love them and they deserve to be loved. It doesn't mean that you have to be that person that does that. 
it means that if that's outside of your control, that means that if it's outside of your, um, not just, not just control, but if you don't, if that is outside of your boundaries, that's okay too. You have, (laughs) you have just as much of a right to belong. And if you can't belong in a space where you feel unsafe, you feel unsafe. Exactly. So when we say that it's not calling each person to love everyone love everyone and i'm not like i don't even know if that's possible because you know because but i i think that we are being called to believe that other people are worthy of love and belonging and if that's something you're struggling with that might be a bigger question right um yeah i don't i don't Yes, that is that is the end of my my pedestal rant. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, um another big moment for me that's worth bringing up is uh the moment where Sokka, Toph and Suki are showing up and they feel like they're a little bit late, right? Like they didn't get there early enough um to jump on the ship. And so does scarcity even in moments keep us from even trying? Does that the scarcity keep us from even trying to get into the arena even to show up oh ab absolutely 100 percent believe that is the case because Toph in this moment is like Psh, we're not late <laughs> and but i think it's because she knows that she's got the skills she is good enough in her mind to well, get them onto that airship it, right and so and like we see we see her throughout the series from the moment she shows up <laughs> right that like it is very rare that Toph struggles with enoughness. I think we see her struggle with enoughness with her parents, but in terms of her bending skills, in terms of how she interacts and works with the gang, she is a very strong sense of uh, her belonging and her and who she is, and she rarely acts outside of her values, right? And I and I use that as like grounds and evidence to say that she she believes she's enough that is that is my opinion right and so with that it's interesting to see her respond in that moment saying no we can make a difference it'll be okay because that's 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 what abundance mindset looks like versus we see Sokka struggle with that over the course of the entire series he struggles with this we see it in Sokka's master with master Pian Dao we see him struggle with it uh when he struggles with everybody who can bend and he can't over the course of everything, we see it's him struggle with Suki in episode three or four when that happens. Um, and he is a warrior that gets beat by, quote, a girl. And that's awesome. But he learns, like, and he learns from that. And there's just a lot of moments where he struggles with his enoughness. And it's interesting how that manifests in this moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I just... Yeah, for I think this also highlights to me this moment of it's better to show up imperfectly than to not show up at all, right? Like their Absolutely. plans, their plans were a little bit, uh, they had to be a little bit flexible with their plans. They didn't have a a, a solid, say, like graceful landing onto the ship. Like it was like Toph didn't even know if she was gonna land on it. <laughs> she was just like, "Is it right yeah. in front of us? Great, cool." And like. I appreciate her asking for help in that moment. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but I think that shows, and they didn't necessarily have the perfect plan on how they were going to navigate all these ships and take them take them out. Um, but it was uh, 
they were showing up imperfectly, which is better than not showing up at all. And we see that. And so I think that's worth highlighting as well. Absolutely. I think I mean, and, and perfectionism is a scarcity mindset, period. Like yes. perfection, that perfectionism armor is a scarcity mindset. And so this concept of like, oh, I'll never be enough, so why show up at all? Like that's the whole premise behind the quote of Voltaire uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? It's And that's a, just rephrasing what you said earlier, but when we believe we have to be perfect, often that prohibits us from acting at all. But being good, taking small steps to success rather than having to just jump to success is better than taking no steps at all. And acting imperfectly, in other words, is better than not acting at all. So I, I absolutely believe what you're highlighting is true, that being in a scarcity mindset, believing that we aren't enough, can prevent us from doing good in the world. Hmm. So what are the big takeaways that we have? Like, what are the moments that, as we're starting to kind of wrap up this, this episode conversation, what are the big takeaway points of things we can start working on now? Um to create and combat scarcity, to create a positive environment and combat scarcity uh, mindsets? Honestly, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but the hypothesis of generosity is a great way to combat scarcity. And what I mean by that is, what is the most generous assumption I can make? Is a, That is a enough mindset. But and not so, just with other people. But, but not, yeah, but not with just ourselves. With other people. Correct. Exactly. With ourselves and with other people, right? And so, what is the most generous assumption I can make? And talking to ourselves the way we would talk to our best friend. So, like, if our best friend makes a mistake and, you know, drops the milk on the ground and there's spilt milk everywhere, you'd say, oh, no worries. It's no problem. It happens all the time. But if we do it, we say, oh, what an idiot. It's, it's changing that language and saying, oh, no. How would I talk to my friend in this moment? I would say, oh, no worries. It happens all the time. Um, and I, I just think our self-talk has to be one of the first places we start in order to address this concept of enoughness. What about you? What's a big takeaway for you? I think for me, it's it's this understanding of the way that we act towards others is going to help support them in their journey with uh, with understanding that they're enough as well and so being intentional about the language we use being intentional about the way that we provide support and feedback being intentional about the the way that we speak to others and engage with them is going to have drastic effects on how they view themselves as enough um and so i think for me it's that's a big point is that we have to do the self-work so that we can better support others in our actions. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if you want a longer list of action items, it's check out Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfection from the library or well, buy if, it. And if or... we can, what we can do is we can, we'll drop those, those 10 points in on our Facebook group and our Facebook page and uh, our Instagram and, that's we a great can, idea. We, we can post links to that stuff so that y'all can find us, find those on there so that you might be able to find a hard copy of that when this episode drops. So we'll do that. We'll drop the her her staples of of living. 
Just good cool. Brene Brown advice, you know? Yeah. We're not, not an advocate yeah. or sponsored by Brene Brown at all, but, uh, but probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. I love her. Max, anything you want to add to all this? Not at this time. All right, Ben, cool, do we have anything cool, we cool, want to cool, jump cool. into before we, we take a quick break and uh, go to our voicemail for the for the week? Yeah, I, I, I think it's just acknowledging that there's a lot of things we didn't cover in this episode. Um, oh, for but sure. But if you, if you notice that we didn't cover something and you want to cover it, that's a great way. A great way for us to cover it in future is for you to send in a voicemail and talk about how you might have noticed enoughness or moments of scarcity or abundance within this episode. We would love to hear about it. And you can send that voicemail uh, under two minutes, please, uh, to the arc of E at gmail.com. We would love to engage with you and, and talk about that. Absolutely. All right. We will be right back after a quick break and jump into uh, a voicemail that we were sent, which I'm so excited about. So we'll be right back. You have reached the voicemail box of... Bending, not breaking. Please leave a message after the tone. What's up, guys? Big fan of your show. I hope I'm not sending this message too late. My name is Jeremy, and I have something I'd really like to hear your thoughts on. First, though, I'd, I'd just like to say uh, I have a family member who once asked me, what value could you possibly see in this show beyond the sentimental and nostalgic value? Basically, uh, what makes it better than watching Power Rangers? And unfortunately, at the time, I didn't have the ability to articulate an adequate response. I didn't know how to say this story is an expansive masterpiece laden with seeds of potent wisdom collected from the ancient gardens of philosophers and spiritual leaders that transcend the idea of age demographics. <clears throat> Some of those words weren't even in my vocabulary, um, like garden. But I just want to take a page from your book and give you a gratitude segment because you have done so much more than just answer the question. You've taken this already fleshed out world and opened it up even further, allowing fans like myself and many others to appreciate and love this show on even deeper levels. Uh, it's amazing work what you guys have been doing, and I want to genuinely thank you. Or in the words of Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. So uh, what I wanted to share with you, I made the mistake of getting into a dispute with somebody on Reddit who held this opinion that Aang's decision to show Ozai mercy instead of power washing the inside of his skull was an act of cowardice. And I think I made some point about confusing pacifism with cowardice, but I can't even call Aang pacifist in this moment because yanking someone's goatee is not very pacifist and is the least of his violent deeds. What bothered him wasn't the lack of violence. What bothered this audience member was the lack of murder. And, and that bothered me. Because I think we get so used to the bad guy going around murdering people that we actually start to believe the bad guy that this dishing out death is the best or only method of removing people from power. But I want to hear some thoughts from you guys uh, who actually have an education and experience and expertise in areas like this. Uh, even though I have the funny feeling that we're all going to come to Aang's defense on this one, you know, what are the moral implications of this scenario? Should everyone be just as apprehensive to take lives as Aang is, or is that strictly an Aang thing who has the privilege and power to take that specific route? Because I also have a feeling we'd defend Sokka if he gave Ozai the Melon Lord treatment. But if we want to talk about cowardice, 
I think the coward avatar in this situation would never have even confronted the problem, right? The coward avatar would never have left the South Pole because I think defying the odds and finding your unique method of facing your problems until you actually solve them, which is exactly what Aang has always done, that to me, that sounds like the exact opposite of cowardice, which is why I think the guy got me so um, angry with two A's. But if this message gets through, uh, I really hope to get you uh, to hear your thoughts on this. I look forward to it, uh, to anyone who may be listening to this right now. Uh, you're a beautiful person. I hope your day is fantastic. Thank you for listening. Bye. Jeremy, oh, thank you so much for sending that voicemail. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, it really means a lot to Ben and I. Uh, and and to Max that we're able to do something that people really have started to latch onto and enjoy and, and find helpful and um, we're learning every single day uh, and we're just happy to be a part of a community that is is excited about new things to pull out of the show so thank you for this uh, those kind words. As for your question, uh, we've got a pretty long answer for you, uh, in, which is just going to end up being all of next episode, which is. Uh, we're going to look at that exact moment, and we're going to talk about it through the lens of, of nonviolent struggle. So I think we've got a, a whole episode. But to tease that a little bit, I think that, that Ben and I learned a lot in, in that conversation. And big part of that is that showing up, just kind of like you said, showing up is the courageous act. Um, stepping into the arena is the courageous act. And there, I don't think there's any way that you can look at and call Aang a coward because of that. Because he's living into his value system. And I think that for us, seeing the value of Ozai and the value that he is worthy of love and belonging and has missed that somewhere along in his life is has to be an incredibly tough decision, but one that Aang made, and I can't fault him for it. And so that's where I kind of landed with that. Ben, what about you? Yeah, I, again, I just want to echo what Sunshine said. Really grateful for your gratitude. Uh gratitude just makes us feel more gratitude right so it's a nice little upward spiral and so i'm just i'm thank you um you you did call us experts and i i will push back a little bit on that uh, i don't know that we are experts necessarily on all of the things we talk about um but i i appreciate the generosity there we are constantly working to grow and learn and one of the things that's important to highlight is that i like during that conversation with um, our guest on next episode, I, I, I will admit I felt pretty insecure because I, much like you, wasn't able to articulate the things that I wanted to articulate and that I believed in. But uh, we are given the language, and that language is important. And so I'm, I'm really just excited for all of us to hear uh, episode 21, our, our finale. Oh, oh God. It's our final one for Avatar. Uh, but I yeah, think it's a good one. I think it's a good finale. I think, uh, I, I think so. I'm too. very happy yeah. with that being the way that we end Avatar. Um, so I hope that everyone, uh, including Jeremy, I hope everyone enjoys that as well. For sure. Yeah. Not to, you know, bypass the question, but I think we, we just give you a really long answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, and I, I, it might be one of our longest episodes. I think it lands somewhere around like an hour and twenty minutes. So it's, uh, it's you get an answer for sure. Um, we hope it helps. Um, yeah. Let's L let us know. Send us send us more feedback once you once you listen. We'd love to hear about it. Ben, are you ready for devotion? <sighs> devotion, devotion. All right, we I'm are looking. We're devotion. looking at enough 
through the element of earth. Yes. Ben, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? What would you like? I want you to go first. Aw, I'm happy to. Thank you. Um, You're so welcome. For me, I was really inspired by you reading off the the guidepost. Um, And I think for me, earth a lot of time is about structure and creating that structure. Mm-hmm. And so putting intentional time on my calendar to do those things um, is one way for me to help create that structure and to help foster those moments. And I, I mean it. I mean putting on a time for for dance and play. Um, and so I think that, that there's, there's 10 guideposts, and that gives me at least 10 days of things to work on and, and put intentional time on my calendar for. So that's what I'm doing this week. Um, at I least love that. To, to create some structure and intentionality behind cultivating the environment of enough. What about That's you? So earthy of you. I'm not yeah. an earthy person, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to be. Yeah. I'm going to work on it. But you are going to implement some earthy practice. That's right. So, uh, so for me, you know, I, I, I've been interestingly enough, been thinking about this concept of, of land and earth and how I've been working with um, potted plants recently. I have, uh, I have basil that has slowly dying because of the weather, because it's getting cold. Um, But I've been starting to plant smaller pots and bring them inside and they're lasting longer. And then I think about like the fertile, the the fertility of those things and how sometimes we need fertilizers because the dirt by itself is quote not enough sometimes and it makes me think about how just because this specific spot of earth is not enough to support the plant that's trying to grow there that doesn't mean the earth is not enough it means that this spot has been used and worn and is no longer sustainable but if you give it time those nutrients will return over time to that spot and it it, it's really all about like not putting all of our eggs in one basket. And so for, for me, thinking about enoughness is how, if, if this spot, if I'm not feeling enough in this moment, in this place, can I move over and think about my enoughness in another place? And will that help my mental stability? So if I'm not feeling like I'm enough at school, where am I feeling enough? If I'm not feeling enough at work, um, where am I feeling enough? And trying to find and name and be grateful for the places where I feel like I am enough to practice naming what that feels like so that I can start to experience it in the places where I don't feel that. Um, so I, I think Cricket said, if you name it, you can tame it. And um, I, I want to do that. I want to name those places where I feel like I'm enough. And I want to name those places where I don't so that I can work towards enoughness and um, towards that abundance mindset. Oh, that is just so beautiful because I think that's one of the struggles when we don't feel like we're enough in one area that it typically manifests in other areas as well. And, and so the idea that we know that that's just not true, that there are places where you are enough and there are things that you do where you are enough. And so to, to be able to, highlight that is so important so i Mm. i really love that uh that devotion this week so yay you know what that means time for gratitude 
Yeah, exactly. Let's, it's let's time for gratitude. gratitude. Let's do some gratitude. I love that. Okay. Gratitude's the best way to end the podcast. That is all I'm saying. Typically, we talk about who we're being grateful for before the show, but we haven't done that, so we'll see if we got the same person uh, today or if Uh-oh. that's... Uh, or uh, and, and if we do, then, you know, it is what it is. But if not, then we'll just we'll see what happens. So who is your gratitude for um, this week, Ben? Yeah, so I am incredibly grateful for Suki, who we spent, like, I think we mentioned her once. Uh, if that, I don't even know if we named her earlier. But Suki is incredibly supportive and she wonders if they should help ang but sokka's like no we don't have to we can we need to focus on this she just is such an empathetic human and her assistance and her support even though she doesn't have much speaking lines is integral to i think the success of bringing down those airships right and i i just I am so grateful that she is a part of this gang and I like I will defend her to forever and that she should have gotten more screen time uh, because she's a queen and a boss and I love her. So I'm grateful for Suki. How about you? Well, and she just has so much trust in others, which shows that she believes they're enough, which is really. Yeah. Nice. Yes, 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 yes. Suki so, is queen. Queen Suki. I mean, it's Sokka and Toph would have likely died had it not been for her so that's what i'm saying right like she is integral to the success of this mission agreed she's just she deserves some gratitude it's very very much agreed um my gratitude goes to katara and it's a small moment it's a small moment but it's one that and we didn't even talk about it but it's this when suko when zuko goes up to um confront azula and she challenges him at agni kai Katara questions him and says, hey, we knew that we needed to kind of take her on together. That's why she's trying to separate us. And Zuko says, "I, you know, I've got this. I need to do this. And that's a moment where Katara's response to him shows him that he's enough. And that's a that's a mm. moment that I... Ooh, I love that. That I really love. She, she trusts him. She believes him. She gives him the, yeah, you've got this. Like, I'm here if you need me, but you've got this. Um... And I I really love that moment, and so that's just I'm, I give gratitude to Katara. No, that's really beautiful. I didn't even think about that. That's it's amazing how much our responses to the people we're in relationship with help them feel or not feel like they are enough. And what a good example that you're pointing to about how her response helps Zuko feel like he is enough, which is something he's been grappling with for a long time. So, yeah, I'm I am so on board with that. Thank you for lifting that up. Absolutely. And there we have it. Ugh. One episode left. One episode left. Looking at <laughs> Oh my goodness. Sozin's Comet Part 4 through the lens of non-violent struggle with a special guest. Please don't miss that. That'll come out next week. And uh, any other places, Ben, where can they find us? Where can they find all of the things? Where are we at? Y'all, all the places. So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok at BNB underscore pod. If you want to see a 30-year-old man do TikToks, hey, that's, that come, is on, true. come on down. 
we got some songs for you, got some Avatar moments of the day that we've started. It's been a really cool experience to watch. Uh, also, Facebook, we have a page that you can like for all of our memes and videos and things like that. But also, for our patrons, all you have to do is contribute to Patreon on any level, and you can join our Facebook group where we have really cool discussions. We choose themes and lenses to watch the show through. We discuss some offshoot comics, things that come up, and anything that our patrons bring up also. Lots of really fun things that happen in there. Uh, what I miss, you can also email us at the Arc of E uh, to send us a voicemail. Try and keep it under two minutes so that we can respond to you accordingly. And yeah, that, that'll that be a, a great opportunity to connect with us. Yep, what I missed? Did I miss anything? Just a quick highlight that we are close, but still not at our goal for patrons to be able to do Legend of Korra That's Book important. 1. And so any dollar amount would be a super big help, but go over to our patreon.com slash bnb underscore pod and see all the, the benefits you get. Bonus episodes, early episodes, um, access to Facebook groups, things like that. And so uh, go ahead and, and help us out there. As little as a dollar a month makes a really big difference, y'all. It, it really does. Every every dollar counts. And so we're just asking for you to support if you think that this podcast has been helpful to you at all. All right. Max, Max, thank you so much for another wonderful episode. You just do such phenomenal work, and I love that you're here. So all the gratitude towards Max. And He's I'm, giving the thumbs up. Love it. <laughs> And I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And this has been... And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.